I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. And I'm Al Nicole France. And we are the CRM players. Wait, wait for a minute. Is there an applause? I'm, no I'm waiting applause? for technical. No, see, I'm waiting for technical difficulties. Oh wait, oh, you mean our trademark technical difficulties? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like when the echo of you starts coming in, right? <laughs> well, last week. This is great. <laughs> last clean. week, yeah, it was last week too. Last week, no, was no, clean. I can't no. Remember. Last week, well, no, last week was not clean. Last week, so we had me tripling into infinity twice on the reward show and then we had last week was you hearing yourself over and over on the mic right and then that you he kept waiting no it was esteban yourself. that was an esteban oh, i think i think inevitably it's esteban's fault yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, realistically <laughs> technically or otherwise it's look just you know fault. if you're the head of estivus then you have to take responsibility yeah, that's true so. all right and as usual our first greeting of the day comes from Ave. Oh man. Wait, is that Latin? Like is that the like religious Latin? Like Ave Maria, kind of holy friends? Only Sven would know. <laughs> Hi Sven. <laughs> Always good to see Sven. Always good to see what language you'll be greeting us in as well. So it's a good thing. I think he's up to 13 languages now. <laughs> all I know is I'm I am really sincerely glad I am not in Texas and I feel for all the people that are in Texas. My one of my college buddies uh is in Dallas the first part of the week. He had like power, they would have two hours of power followed by seven hours without it. Jeez. And that went on for like two two to three days. So. It's hard enough if you know that's what's going to happen, but I think part of the issue is that nobody really knows when it's going to be off or on, so it's that much harder to deal with, too. It's like, pump all your water. My mom in Houston said she at least had the foresight to fill several water bottles, like big containers full of water, because her power her power was on, but her water was out. So there you go. Amazing. Yeah. We have it so easy. Well, actually, I think, Nicole, you might have it the easiest when it comes to weather brent second and me third and mine's easy relative to almost everywhere else so yeah well I, I think what it comes down to is like in many things in life it's being prepared so it's not so much that the weather itself was so insane it's just that it was so unusual for texas totally unprepared for that scale and duration like well see so here's the thing so was it two years ago when we were, I think we were all there too. All three of us were there. Remember Microsoft in Seattle? That the, oh, Microsoft yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, no, it was uh, Snowpocalypse. It was Snowpocalypse, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. My brother, you know, my brother and uh, my niece and my sister-in-law are either full-time living in Seattle or about my brother will be moving at some point to Seattle too. And so they're there a lot. So two days ago, they got 12 inches of snow. Which is more than snowpocalypse, even. And so the interesting question is what they're going to do with it. I kept saying, just make sure that you tell somebody at City Hall and in the snow removal department that part of the deal is to take snow off the sidewalks, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which they did not do last time. And everyone was like, it's right fine while it's still snow. It's once it starts to melt that it gets to be a bigger problem. Uh, they had no idea. No. <laughs> so no. That, and, and now I they got like a foot. 
like to thank everybody for listening to the AccuWeather portion of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I want right. to say that Bob, Bob mentioned the Mars lander. We have some we have some pretty significant competition here for eyeballs yeah. at the moment. That's a, that oh. is a big deal. Oh, that's so boring. No, <laughs> oh, it's not. Hey. We, there's room for multiple screens. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> That's, That's right. true. You need your split screen, multiple channels, multiple right. things going on. You know. All right. So before we get to our guest, which is really going to be a special guest, um, someone that we've known for almost ever, it feels like, but in a good way. Uh, before we bring him on, I wanted to give a give Mr. PG a chance to. Once again, we're a week away from the event. Oops. What am I doing here? I want to add this. Give people a reason to join us next week for this. Oh, just look at their faces for Christ's sake. That's, <laughs> I mean, who would not want to go join that, right? I, mean, just by a, I you almost don't have to say anything about this one. I mean, every one of them is happy. What more do you want, right? So, I look, I mean, ultimately, the, the good thing, oh, Bob, you're crazy, right? So, uh, Right. Uh, the accurate Yeah, I'm sorry. So the good thing about this group, one, actually, even though the revenue is sort of generally in the same range, although one of one of them is a little higher than the other ones there, they're generally in the same place. Each one of these companies is very distinct in what it does. And frankly, rarely, I mean, you see a little bit of overlapping competition here and there, but not a ton in that group. Right. And the interesting thing is given that we're going to be looking at kind of the state of the union, so to speak, or no, I don't want to get that far. Let's go to the state <laughs> of the union. If I get there, we're going to whole other territory now. And so the state of the industry, this is going to be a really interesting group to hear from. And the other side of this mm-hmm. is, you know, everyone here is a, a senior executive of one level or another, but they're different types. We have marketing executives, a couple of strategy guys, a couple of strategy um, people. We've got a CTO, you know, with Don. So, the perspectives are going to give even from the standpoint of their own work. It's going to be fascinating. And all of them, all every last one of them is a longtime experienced player in and an influencer in the actual industry itself. And and by the way, at least to the ones I know, and there's only one I don't really know there, which I don't know uh, uh, Mr. Albano but much, but um, but did all you say Albano? I guess did you say Albano as in Lou Albano? Yes. Okay. Well, it is Orfano, but that Orfano, was the wrestler. Is the wrestler? Is Lou Orfano a wrestler? Captain Lou Orfano. I, I'm good with that. No, actually. no. Wait. No. Oh, let's do it. But they, there's oh, another yeah. reason. Now we have another reason, but we're going to blindside this poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy's going to get blindsided by the CRM players. <laughs> so these, the other four, all have really, let's say, considerable other interests that will bring in a real interesting perspective. So we got a good one here. Well, I was going to say, Paul, you know, I mean, honestly, some I know better than others here, but to a person, those are really intelligent, really articulate, not just fun and smiley and happy people. So it's going to be an interesting conversation no matter what. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. And of course we'll announce them probably on LinkedIn because it won't be today for sure. Uh, all the uh, talking heads that are coming to join us too, besides, of course, the four of us, you know. Um, so there will be, looks like, ultimately, nine. Um, yeah. Three and three and three again. So be ready. Some that, 
some that you've seen before and some new folks that maybe you haven't seen before. Something hey. borrowed, something blue. <laughs> I'll tell them all to wear blue. Uh, just That's case. right. Yeah. And then we'll borrow a couple of them. Uh, right, so, uh, there is a question for L. Nicole. It is, in fact, yes. It is because that way I can hear the runaway traffic across from me. But I'm not listening to it right now. Ooh, hey, wow. uh, is that a breaker breaker thing? Yeah. <laughs> Since we are, we, we just touched on the round table. And the uh, first one we did did have uh, Suresh Patel, uh, who was at Adobe at the time. Here's Finn talking about how Suresh has moved on from Adobe. Yes, he has moved on. Yeah. Just re that was a recent development, wasn't it? Yeah, I forget, um, he went to, um, oh, I'm forgetting now. He's a chief product officer, wherever it was he went. Apterix? That's right, chief okay. product officer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know why I've talked to him yet. I will um, find out, but... Um, Look, what I heard, from the, the rumor ahead. is, the rumor is, All right. he really wasn't happy with the way the round table worked. And <laughs> <laughs> that was just the nail in the coffin, was that it? Yeah, he's like, look, or, if you guys are going to get me doing this stuff anymore, I'm out. And I'm out. It could be the opposite, which he was so happy with. He went to another company, so another chance to be on a <laughs> different round again. table. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. If he I had mean, only he... left a little sooner, we... <laughs> Well, we can all, we can find a place for him. I'm sure. Uh, maybe we can get him on. Maybe this way we can get him on the show a lot easier. And uh, <laughs> right, and then we can ask him why make the move, right? And find out. He's a great guy, and he's going to be terrific wherever he goes. So that's right. That's right. So just uh, wanted to point that out. Okay, before we, one more tease, because I don't think we see our guest in there just yet. All right. So uh, I was looking at some of the recent earnings uh, announcements and reports and all that. And one kind of stood out to me. Let me see if I can bring this up. HubSpot, look at now. I know, Paul, I know you and I, we actually go right back to 06 right. when it was just Brian and Darmesh. Yeah. Look at this. They are on, they are now a billion annual run rate revenue company. Amen. Good for them, man. Yeah. I mean that is pretty um look at that that nice well look at look at the look at actually take a look at from 16 to 20 20 and a half basically in a four year period it went from 250 to a billion i mean the bulk of it came in the last four years that's amazing that is that's, yeah the well, and that's that's with a change too, right? Like counting ARR instead of, well, I guess it was already. No, they were they uh, were revenue. Yeah. 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 Right. But, uh, Actually, they doubled from sixteen to eighteen, and double again from eighteen to twenty. Well, well, you think about it like this: if you look at when they did the CRM launch, wow. from fourteen to now, that's that's a ten to one. Jump. That's a thousand percent increase in revenue. Look how the the CRM part. I I don't know exactly how much it contributes or how the role it really played, but it's just kind of interesting how when they brought on the CRM piece, that's when they really the rocket ship really took off. It's almost Brent like having consistent customer experiences that you manage across the entirety of a business is really what matters and drives value. Well, it's the platform. They start. They yeah. they made yeah. all this stuff, and then it became a platform instead of a 
just the marketing thing. And yeah, it's, now, wow. it's the remarkable. one thing they did do too is they they did have groundwork. I mean, you have to keep in mind one of the things yeah. we know is how. Thank you. It's Alterix. That was it. Thank you. Uh, it was they had basically uh, let's call it six seven years of um, incredible marketing that they did to prepare the groundwork. I mean, they look. Oh, yeah. if, I still remember, Brent, and I'll go back to this, this story I've told like 8 million times probably. But when you did this uh, webinar with them, and what was it? They had 90, that was like 9,300. No. Yeah. Sometimes the numbers grow as time goes on. I thought you were going to say like 93,000 for a second. No, no, 100, 100, 100, 100. No, but this was the thing. You had 9,300 registrants, and you had something like, I think what was it four thousand something who attended, and that was the fourth biggest webinar they did that year. <laughs> right. I don't. Well, yeah, I think those numbers are slightly elevated than the, the actual numbers, but yeah, I don't. And you know, I don't think webinars will ever ever get those kind of numbers again. No. no. <laughs> now two hundred seems to be a big number for somebody. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm just I, you got to give you know hats off to Brian Halligan and Darmesh Shah. Uh, yeah. They, we literally saw these guys build a billion dollar company right before our eyes. It, it is and impressive it, though, because I, I do think one of the things that they've done really well is they've gotten the platform, they've gotten the set of tools together that's really useful and adapted for the different folks using the platform. And they've had some really powerful and, and, and compelling messages that have gotten a lot of traction in the market. So they've really been able to build mindshare as much as market share and, and revenue growth. Look, I mean, honestly, the, um, you know, if I'm looking at it, you know, let's say brutally when they did the, um, when they did the first the SFA part of their CRM offering, it wasn't very good. It mm -hmm. wasn't much. It wasn't much at all. Really. It was like, it wasn't even, the, it was CRM light, light. Right. right. So, Fair. uh, yeah, and it was and, aimed and, at a specific market too. Right. Well, they would at the time their strategy wasn't really CRM. It was give something else to people who buy our marketing stuff, right? And that was really <laughs> what it was, right? Um, and but it's I I don't know what the transition point was when it came to like making the strategic decision. Oh wait a minute, this stuff's all integrally tied. We kind of should do all of it. Uh, but that obviously is the launch point for all of that. If you're just looking yeah. at because it, it's the <laughs> only possible explanation, at least given their you know, their comments on the curves there. Well, I remember a time when uh, people thought, wait a minute, I thought HubSpot was just a content company. They got products. They got a platform. They were so good with their content. that well, people that didn't really <laughs> But that's what I'm talking about, Brent. I mean, they've built Mindshare. They've become this really widely recognized name, partly because, you know, if you're a functional marketer, if you're a seller, you know, Maybe less so in the service side, but I can even see some stories there that are that are pretty attractive and and have a good audience. They're like the go-to for how to do it. Like you you search on the internet for how to do X Y Z. HubSpot is most likely to be one of the top three references that you're going to find, and there's some useful stuff in there. It's really valuable. So they oh, yeah. they've had an amazing, I think you know, call it a content marketing strategy, thought leadership strategy, however you want to describe it that really has been an incredibly powerful part of establishing them as a, as a really compelling player in the market. So one, one last thing. Um, and pardon me, Nicole, if this is, you may not understand this particular one, but I think their transformation started 
when they changed the name of the rooms at their headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brent, I know, knows exactly what I'm saying on that one. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Bob is on with us, so... So we really probably shouldn't talk about it. I know. I Maybe this was what maybe held them back for a few years. That's what I think. I, when they <laughs> yeah. changed the names from that. Yeah, they used to else. have the rooms, their, their uh, meeting rooms used to be the names of like Boston sports arenas <laughs> and stuff. And, and teams. I should have guessed and that was I was afraid they were going to be like foul language or something. No, 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 no. Yeah, that no, is foul language. That is, right. Yeah. There would have been. Brent yeah. and I were there, and we were actually at the headquarters, and we actually did an episode of the players at their headquarters, right? And uh, and he and I spent a good chunk of the afternoon objecting to the names of every room yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and there was there were some rooms that we just said, "Look, we're not going in there. We're not going to do the episode from that room. No. Not no, a no, chance." No, no. Right? <laughs> so I remember yeah, but- that was one of our more famous episodes too, because we did the alternate uses of serum at the speed of light episode. Yeah, which is you. Know, you could lay bricks with it. You could do curls with it. You could kill people like Ajab used to kill people with it, right? And and you could. Um, oh, there's one other one that was really. Um, oh, you could do step aerobics off it, right? That was the things we did. So lots we're standing there doing all this, yeah, showing the use value of the book because it was yeah. you know, third edition. So I just wanted to shout that out because I thought I mean when you get that that's there's certain milestones that. Man, that you're just like, wow, they did it. It's, it's yeah, really, good for I am good for absolutely. them. Absolutely. And and they can uh they can thank Captain Lou Al Orfano, not Lou Albano. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, Are you gonna ask him if he has a wrestling outfit that he yes. uses for his audit? I'll just say I'll look at him go La Lucha and see what he says. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh like unfortunately at the moment our guest has not arrived. Our guest being Teen Zo, the founder and CEO of Zora. Um, hopefully, he'll get here. I haven't heard anything. I'm checking the email just to see if if I get an, an announcement or a notice. Uh, maybe Paul, maybe you could shoot him a note. I'm just doing it right now. And while we're waiting, I will. I I got this tease lined up for for this whole thing because uh, one of my very first one-on-ones that I do with small business trends. I started doing this small business trends one-on-one series, hard to believe, 10 years ago. Well, now it's about 10 and a half years ago. And one of my first guests was Teens Well. And we talked about the beginnings of the subscription economy. That was before I was actually doing that show with video. I, I think maybe we might've done an audio. I can't even find it anymore. I just know that the, the transcript of that conversation is on small business trends. But what I did find and what I'll play, and I look, I think, uh, oh, there he is. Okay. okay. Perfect timing, Tian. Before I bring you on, he's in the green room. You'll have a crow night if you want. Um, before we bring you on, Tian, I'm, 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 I'm warming it up. I'm, I'm setting right. the stage for you. So, so I just Opening told air. them, I just told uh, everybody that my first conversation that I had with Tian on the subscription economy was 10 years ago. Uh, it was actually almost 10 years to the week. It was February 4th, 2011. I don't have that uh, audio or video. I, you could go to Small Biz Trends and you can see the edited transcript. But what I do have is I did a five-year follow-up at Dreamforce in 2016. 
And one of the things, I think the very first thing I asked team was, so did the five years meet your expectations? What has this five years been like? So here's a clip of that. Not have to buy products anymore. So instead we would just use services. We would pull out your phone, tap into the biggest, the latest service to really meet our everyday needs, both in our personal lives as well as our business lives, especially with these these SaaS applications. And five years ago, when we really talked about this, uh, it was probably a lot of skepticism, right? People didn't really didn't, you know, necessarily see it coming yet. You think back five years, Uber, you know, really wasn't around, right? We weren't, you know, picking up our phone and trying to get from point A to point B. You know, Netflix, gosh, five years, was, there was probably still that DVD company, or maybe they were just doing that split, or, you know, that what Was that, that Blockbuster? Was that split around? Blockbuster was still around, right? And so, so uh, but, you know, fast forward to today, and what we talked about had really come about, right? So this whole idea, you don't have to buy a car. Now that there is Uber, there is Lyft, more and more people are going from two-car families down to one-car families, or even just getting rid of the, their cars altogether. And then, obviously, you know, with movies, the other, uh, just... If you walk into Best Buy today, my understanding is you can't even buy a DVD <laughs> player anymore, right? We're just simply used to pointing our phones and our TV sets to whatever we need to get the music and the movie services that we want. And then five years ago, you talk about 2011, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and the whole technology sector has shifted over where it's not just startups, right? Trying to build a Salesforce.com of this or the Salesforce.com of that, but the whole software category has shifted to, to, to software services. You've seen Adobe saying we're going to only offer Creative Suite now as Creative Cloud and you can only subscribe to it. I just logged into my Microsoft uh, Office account, right, or account, right, the software after we did the upgrade and it's asking me to log into something, right? So, so this whole idea of technology as offered services is, is there. So I would say today, you know, we truly do live in, 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 in a subscription economy and, and, you know, it's played out exactly as, 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 as we had hoped. All right. Okay, well, with that as the setup, there, there he is. is man. Whoa. <laughs> hey. Wow. Hey. Good to I see know. you, man. Look at that video from a few years ago. Yeah. Well, wow. let me say, let me first say a couple of things before we get into it. A, uh, I was really not great at doing mobile video at the time. <laughs> and that beat you kept on here, it was because I was holding the camera wrong and the thing was trying to tell me. You hold it a different way. That's why it was it was portrait, not landscape. Oh. So there's that. The audio was terrible, but team still looks the same, which is kind of. I, 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 I was literally thinking we were coming here. I was going to see gray hairs now. A little bit of gray. Look, at you. look at you. You're not right. So so what? One of the things I I thought I'd let you do. You probably already did it before, but. For all the naysayers or all the folks who said, oh, why would I ever subscribe to this or that? Have you already said I told you so? And if you haven't, feel free to do it now. What's that? I told you so. Look at that. Don't buy anymore. The end of ownership. It's all coming through. It's all come true. Yeah. Well, so let me ask you this because I, one of the things that, that kind of actually blows me away about what you've done is not just that you've established. Zawar and I literally remember a conversation I had with you uh, on a phone many years ago when you were thinking of leaving Salesforce to go to Zawara, yeah. right? Uh, uh, well, you, you know what? It was, I won't go into details, but it was an admirable conversation because of something you said specifically. But, um, but um, you've also done something which very few 
vendors have done successfully at all. In fact, you're basically pretty much the best at this, which is you've established yourself as an as a genuine thought leader and 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 created and not only in a space but created a space that you pretty much stamped, marked, and embedded so that when the word subscription economy is said, two things happen. One is nobody says, what the hell's that? And two is you're associated with it, right? So that's, but that's an art and a skill besides being, you know, the content itself. So how did you, how do you even do that? Cause that's it's just so difficult. Um, how do we do it? So uh, certainly, you know, my, my nine years of Salesforce certainly helped, right? At Salesforce, we we try to, and Benioff is, is, is probably uh, really great at that. And, and, you know, he looks up to, to, to Steve Jobs even, right? And so what is really the thing that's going on, right? What is the bigger picture thing? And, and at Salesforce early days, it was, you know, we call it the end of software, right? The end of software and this idea that, look, software just looks completely different once it's in the internet. And, um, and, and and trying to create a language around all this. And the reason we started this was pretty simple. It's, it's after nine years of really trying to figure out how to use the subscription business model, right? Because the other software really had two components. One was the technology side. How do we use you know, cloud computing, what we call cloud computing. Now we just called the internet back then uh, to transform how you deliver software. But the other side was, well, how do you change the business model? How do you change the business model to a, a, a recurring pay-as-you-go is the words we used. Service and we said, look, is this something that can only apply to the software industry? And when we decided, no, it could really apply to any industry. That became really interesting. How do we take all the lessons that we learned nine years of transforming the software industry? And again, I left in two thousand eight, and so the rest of the movie hadn't been written yet. But Salesforce is about a billion dollars, right? Not, you know, certainly not the behemoth that it was. But you can sort of see the trends were going to happen, and say, well, can we help other industries do the same shift? Uh, definitely other software companies as well, right? It's a big, big part of our business. But, you know, it's it's exciting to be out there working with car companies, washing machines, robots, financial services, and, and, and really seeing just, just the whole world move in this, this direction. But you go beyond that pretty far, too. You Like when the newsletter comes, because I read it when you send it, um, you, you the subject matter is well beyond just the pure subscription economy. So you, let's say this, you don't repeat the words over and over again, just so you know somebody remembers them. You actually just, you establish, a, it's a very wide range of, um, of a number of areas of content that are, let's say, not directly in the path, but around the path too, which again, makes you very different. And you're not, you're not just focusing in on um, industry matters. You're focusing on kind of how life works in this, right? Which is a, a different level. And th that's the part that really genuinely is the part that really, I think, distinguishes you from anyone else I'm reading who are attempting to do, let's call it thought leadership level work, but are yeah. working for a vendor. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts with not trying to think of it as thought leadership, right? Not trying to think of this category creation. I mean, hopefully, hopefully, you know, hopefully those things happen. You're just you're just trying to tell a story of, of what you do. I mean, these days I'm talking to so many manufacturing companies, and the story I relate them back to is is um, in 1999, right? Um, you know, people didn't use Google in '99. Uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi in our homes. We didn't have you know high-speed access in our homes. Uh, we're Salesforce. We're selling to salespeople. They're in hotel rooms. They're unplugging the phone, plugging into their compact brick. 
right? And then you hear the 56K modem go, and that's how they interact with the internet. And, and so it's really, really early days, and we pushed our first release of Salesforce out. And, um, you know, we became upset. I don't think we slept that night because we were trying to say, well, are people logging in? You know, they log, how come they're not creating a contact? How come they're not going over here, right? Well, we wanted them to do this, but none of them seem to be doing that. And you just start obsessing about the, 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 the data. And it just blows your mind because as software you know, developers, you never really knew how people use your software product, right? Intuit used to follow people home, right? To watch how they installed in, you know, or quick in. And uh, they're famous for, for, for doing that. Creepy. And so, you know, look, so software industry, you obviously, you know, that seems quaint and silly now. But now imagine you're, you're, a, you're a car engineer. You design like the latest car. And now you're like, gosh, you know, these cars are connected to the internet. That's how my customers are really driving my car, right? You know, they're, they're driving too fast. They're driving too slow, right? Whatever it happens to be, you're, you, you make washing machines. Like half my customers are putting too much detergent into the machine, right? And then and you're like, gosh, and you, you want to just like, don't do it like that. So you start wanting to take over more and more of what they do, offer it as a better service. And so this whole idea of a service mindset is, is, is really taking hold. And, and once you go there, I remember, you know, fast forward to 2001, 2002, dot-com bust, we had all these companies, all these VCs that were saying, look, just, just give the customer the software, right? And, and what we said is, is, yeah, but if we do, we lose all that, all that data, all that relationship, we lose a different way of working that we really enjoy, right? That we can actually deliver something better the customer. And so we kind of refuse to do that. And so when I look at what's going on with IoT connected devices, there, there's no going back. Yeah, I, it's fascinating. I mean, and you touched on something, Chen, that I think is fundamental here, which is it's a mindset change. It's not just that the technical capabilities have evolved right. and allow us to do stuff differently, but we really have to think differently about not only what's possible, but how you execute on that along the way. But I'm curious in your conversations with your customers, you're, you're obviously talking about a lot of operational thinking that needs to change, but there are pretty big implications for the financial community as well and financial valuations. I mean, that was one of the big things. I, I look to Oracle as a great example of one of the biggest companies that had to make that shift in license yeah. revenue to SaaS base. And part of what slowed that down really substantially was not the technical or sales aspects of that. It was the valuation that they were getting Oh, there's so many aspects of this. I mean, we, we, we took really the lessons of the first, you know, six, seven, eight years of the company and took all these customer stories and, and, and put it in, in a book, right? We were just writing about a lot of what we we're doing. And, and you know, the book's called Subscribe. It's, it's, it's sold 170,000 copies around the world so far. Ooh, wow. And um, yeah, you know, it's going pretty well. But, but, but a lot of the non-tech companies love the story of Adobe and Microsoft, yeah. right? We call it the slaw of the fish. Yeah, where, where your revenues might decline in the short term, right? But they're going to come back up. And you're going to go on this growth tear. Your expenses might go up, you know, hence this fish diagram. And it really gives them hope and, and inspiration to say, yeah, look, if a company like Adobe, a company like Microsoft can go through that change and you look at Adobe stock price since then, look at Microsoft stock price, you know, that's, that's something that we need to do too. So we're just trying to get these stories out there, right, to give people inspiration and courage. To really, to really, you know, move to the future, and then just try to give things a name to kind of help explain, you know, how how how, how things are evolving. It's kind of nice that there's a cohort of companies across different industries now, and we have enough 
history of doing this, that there are some really useful examples. And you know, you can you can identify what the outliers are. You can right. identify what the sort of common trends are, or yeah. what to expect. And uh, yeah. it's, it's nice to be able to learn from the pioneers, and and especially to have the benefit of of someone who was part of one of those really important leading lights in, in changing the thinking and, and you know, yeah. all of the ways of doing things around this stuff. Well, last year, last year was this, this last year was a complete game changer for this. I mean, we wrote a book, I think it came out in 2018, but last year because of shelter in place, right? Because, you know, physical location, stores, right? And all that kind of stuff really went out the window. Uh, we've just seen some amazing stories of, of, of companies transforming. Um, you know, we wrote about Fender in the book. It's one of people's favorite stories because you know a lot of these things are IoT. But the Fender's like, look, we're not touching the guitar, right? You know, we're traditionalist. The car, guitar's got to stay the same. Nobody wants, you know, a smart guitar. No one wants a connected guitar. But we're going to build this whole digital experience with apps and tuning the guitar, teaching how to play the guitar. And that service is doing okay, you know. And I think if you buy a guitar, you know, they 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 have little postcards saying, hey, sign up for Fender Play, sign up for Fender Digital. But when people in shelter in place in April, they decided, you know, look, people are probably stuck at home, right? Some of them want to watch, you know, what was about you know, Tiger King or something, you know, what was popular. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I myself. Tiger King, learn how to play the guitar. You know, get that guitar yeah. out of your, your closet, your attic. And they, they, they 10X their subscriber base in like 30 yeah. days. And, and if they didn't have that digital relationship with their customers, if they're depending on customers to go to a, the guitar center, the physical store, Right. They would have been a completely different company. But as a result, you look at their 2020 results. Right. Not only did they sign up, you know, like a million subs, but they actually sold more guitars last year than they ever did. And so that digital relationship with your customers is, is, has been the game changer last year. And so what we're seeing now is just companies really waking up to, 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 to this new model and the need to, 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 to press as fast as they can into, into this future. Do you have a guitar? Exactly. <laughs> You have a guitar? I did. I did try. I, I'm still subscribing to Fender Play. I'm still stuck on level one. And so I got to <laughs> throw a little bit more effort into it. Yeah. All right. Hey, leave you alone then. Recently, and Paul pointed this out to me, it's like maybe a week ago, Amazon uh, put out this page about their, their new Amazon uh, subscription boxes where it's like you could subscribe to all these different bundles of things in the camera. When you see something like that, how does that make you feel? I think, um, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly a lot of successful boxes out there, right? Chewy's out there. But I, I think the number one mistake that we see people make, companies make, is really to say, let me take my same business model of selling you a product and let me just do it on a recurring basis, right? So we call it the whole stuff in the box market. And that's not really what it's about, right? If you go back to that, that story of Salesforce, it's really about you can actually understand more about your customers than you could ever do before, right? There's no reason not to have a digital relationship with your customer. And I'm not talking about just, you know, the purchasing. I'm talking about like understanding how they're using your service. Are you delivering the value, right? That your marketing, your brand or your salespeople promise or right? whatever you sold them. And, and how do you build a, a relationship around, around that that delivers a, a higher value? Right, so Uber is not just about renting a car, right? Say, well, the whole point of the car is to help you get from point A to point B. Let me help you deliver that, right? The whole point of buying a tractor or an excavator is to move some dirt. But what if I can charge you based on how much dirt you moved, right? Wouldn't that be better, you know, wouldn't you be better off for that? And so, so the successful boxes, I mean, if you look at say a Stitch Fix, 
right? It's not just about, hey, you got some clothes. You actually have a stylist that understands who you want, understands things are going in your life. You have somebody you can talk to. So they're, you know, they're curating where they're building a, a whole experience that delivers something real, something higher, of higher value than, 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 than that you're really, really looking for. And those are the companies that are doing something new, doing something innovative and, and really transforming. But look, uh, you know, it, 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 it starts, it, it, and you guys know this, right? It starts with the customer. It starts with the customer and it starts reimagining them as a subscriber, right, to the innovations and, and the expertise that you have. Not somebody simply trying to, trying to buy a product. What strikes me here is that there's a real relationship between the business model and the ability to not only collect, but actually understand and interpret those digital signals because yeah. they have a kind of strong feedback loop as a business between those things that you see very clearly why the connection matters. I mean, it's really interesting to me that, you know, what, what you're talking about here is really getting those digital insights that allow you to anticipate customers' needs in a different way. Yeah. You simply aren't able to do without them. And they don't necessarily yeah. replace the face-to-face -face signals. They're just different. And they provide a different source of insight and they enable a different kind of response. And so it becomes a question of, you know, what is the right mix? How do you put all of these things together? And, you know, when you've got a business model, like what you're helping your clients to establish, you've got something that really becomes a very positive self-reinforcing. That's right. Because you're constantly having to think and innovate. Any any company right. is. But you've well, got you've got yeah. a feedback loop to do that. There's a reason that we always said, look, there's there's two fundamental model shifts when we talk about software as a service. There's a new technology model, but there's a new business model. And those two things have to go hand in hand, right? Because if your business model is based on continuing to have your customers value your service, renewing them, then you're going to focus on this. The flip side of it is true. Like you see these, you know, like uh, you see these apps out there, right? On, on, on the iPhone and the iPad. And a lot of them sell for just a one-time fee. But you get, you know, the, the programmer, the designer, they, they, they release the app, they sell, I don't know, 100,000, a million, and then they don't have anything else to sell, right? And, and so they stop investing in those things. Yeah. Or the Adobe story, the Adobe story was, look, you know, we didn't just try to flip our business model, right? but, but we create all these innovations and only 20% of our customers are on the latest release because we're asking them to pay 700 bucks, 1,000 bucks, 2,000 bucks for these new capabilities. And so we're, we're, we're not getting any of the return that we have that, that, that we can from all this R&D investment that we just did. And so we just have to, 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 to switch the model. And so having a recurring business model where you care about your customers is really important. And what we're finding now is, is if, fundamentally, people are buying less and less stuff. And so if you're a car company and your business model is based on cars sold, you're going to have a hard time growing. Right? <laughs> but if your business model is based on miles driven, that continues to go up. Right? Hours of games played goes up, console sales going down. You know, Hours of news consumed, it just, just seems to be going way up. Right? But number of newspapers sold really, really coming down. And so this idea of tying what you do to customer value, to consumption, to usage, and into ongoing value, then you could just focus on increasing the value that you're delivering to your customers. And then the revenue model will take care of yourself. The re your revenue model will continue to grow. And that's well, you know, the idea of tying these two things together. And I think also from that standpoint, it's why you're seeing a, let's say a relatively active shift from apps to microservices, right? And for the same reason, I mean, you know, in China, when you see app stores, they're really not apps. They're all microservices that you're subscribing to 
one way or the other, or you're using consistently time over time, year over year. But, and the other side is, to your earlier point, because you are consistently looking at, all right, well, we have our customers, we're trying to figure out how to engage our customers in a better way. Um, it's changed the nature of how even things like e-commerce are being looked at. So for example, one of my prevailing like rants, and it's pretty much a rant, uh, is that stop thinking of some difference between transaction and interaction. Interaction, transactions are a subset of interaction. That's the only way to think about it. There's no, I mean, people want to say transaction, you know, but it's a purchase record. No, it's actually a record of customer behavior, right? And and it's it's actually more that. The other thing's a number and you need it for accounting. But the, the there's behavior embedded in that and it goes with all the other behaviors you can interpret and, and there's a much clearer uh, picture of a customer. But, you know, the funny thing is, the one thing, again, it kind of goes back to my original point with you as a thought leader. I actually was thinking about this last night when I when I realized you were coming on. I've, I've actually talked about this many, many times. You actually, as a result of kind of the way you've actually kind of lit, something you said to me in 2003 in Shanghai, where both of us coincidentally were. I, I still remember that. I, we had breakfast in Shanghai. We both happened to be there. We were entirely different events. Um, and I was writing CRM Speed of Light, and I was asking you, I said, what's Salesforce's real game plan? And you were the you said to me, we want to be the network upon which all business applications are run. And which was not the CRM answer I was looking for or expecting, I should say. But that was the day that I understood for the first time that Salesforce never was a CRM company, they were a platform company, right? And I've never, and that Salesforce never wavered for one second off that vision, never, not for a second. I mean, where everyone else is saying CRM, CRM, and I'm saying no, platform, 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 but it was only because of what you said, right? And and the thing is that that's interesting is when you said that to me, and then when you went to Zora. You, you, even though you've developed a company based on the subscription economy, of course, you have a platform and it's how you've been thinking about it the entire time, too. You, it's not like you thought of, I have a company that's going to rely on subscription based economy. You're saying, I'm building a platform and this platform, we can do a lot of things. And it's based on the continual evolution of, plat of other platforms for payments, but also for customer knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And you've never wavered from that either. Never, not for a second. And you all, that's why, again, it's, it's, I keep coming back to you. And I'm sorry I'm pounding so hard on the thought leadership side, but the reality is I, I, I'm trying to – I have a thing about that, and I'm trying to get other people in the industry to be that, right, on the vendor side, and you're pretty much the paradigm for it. So now that I got you, I'm going to squeeze you dry here sure. on, <laughs> on that. And plus, you're an arch conspirator, which I like about you too. Arch conspirator. Right. I don't think I've ever been called that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> just uh, well, let me just. I will just remind you one thing: you and me having a long conversation at the Clyde Hotel on how to get John Tashik to write. That's right. That, you did get him to write. Yes, yeah. we did. <laughs> it was the pincer <laughs> movement. Is that it? Oh no, it's brilliant. No, no, it was all, literally a conspiracy. Did all That's that right. happen in Shanghai on that chance no, meeting? That, no, that oh, was at the Clyde. That one was at the Clyde <laughs> Hotel. In San Francisco, <laughs> I, I still remember it's hilarious. Discussion. Ken, I've got I've got a question for you based on some of the the 
comments that you made and, and observations as well. And that is that what's interesting to me about the evolution of this kind of subscription approach writ large is this idea of anticipating customers' needs and really understanding what they use and how they use it, what where they go wrong, where they make mistakes, you know, where there's stuff that, you know, let's take the software example, you thought was, you know, a kind of throwaway feature, but ends up being something that, that is really, really frequently accessed and becomes instrumental in how people work effectively, for example. What is your take on this whole realm of simplification? Because it seems to me like part of the challenge ultimately is how to design stuff for people that's really easy to use to, to get them to what they're trying to do. And in a whole lot of products, including software, but other things, you know, we've tended as companies to develop more and more stuff that doesn't necessarily help toward that end goal. And if you can see and understand what's happening with your customers, doesn't that make it easier to rationalize what you're actually selling or delivering to them? Yeah. Um, I mean, simplification is probably this, 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 this never ending battle. And, and certainly, you know, you look at, my old product, Salesforce, gets more and more complex over the years. And, you know, we have criticism of our product being more complex. Um, I, I think that the thing about simplification is is it's it's a layer, right? There's there is a lot of complexity. Yep. How do you how do you put the complexity in the background, right, and show an interface to people that's as close to what they're trying to do as possible, and to narrow down, you know, it's 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 a funny balancing act. You want to narrow down their field of choices because you want them to be overwhelmed. But when they do have those additional advanced needs, right, they can go access those things. And so that's always just, the, you know, so the art of design winds up being really, really important in this, in this new world, right? But I'll tell you, like, if you're a subscription business, um, you're forced to do it. Because, yeah. you know, when you sold a product and the customer now bought the product, right, it's now their product and, you know, read the manual, go figure it out, right? But as a subscription service, if, if, if they can't figure out how to use your product or your service, right, within a few clicks, you know, they, they just move on. And, and so, you know, think, think of this as there's like an Instacart effect, right, just from, from the year 2020 that's now spreading across all companies. And they're realizing if they can't make some things as simple, then something else is just going to come along, you know, come along. And, and that's where that's where the customer's going to gravitate towards. Yeah. Might not even be better, but if it's simple, it might get more use. Right. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the where we're approaching a year into this being in this pandemic and there's been like ridiculous shifts in customer behavior and expectations and and activities you know people used to they had to stop buying groceries the traditional way because they couldn't and so they had to start buying things that they would normally buy face to face now they're coming you know digitally to, to buy them online there's a this whole D to C movement because companies who could usually sell their stuff in the stores, they stores are getting closed. So now they had to start trying to figure out ways to sell their stuff directly to the consumer. Can you talk about what's uh, kind of the major differences in uh, customer behavior that have you think have really made a difference or a change in the way that subscription economy companies operate and are some of these changes, how many of these changes are going to be permanent versus just temporary? Oh, these changes are permanent. I think 2020, 2020 was a huge victory for companies that had moved into the subscription economy. 
And so if you're a pure subscription business, you, you probably thrive in 2020, right? And so you see that with Zoom, you see that with a bunch of other companies. And, and if you were a company that was dabbling into subscriptions, you know, what you saw was that was the strongest part of your business. It probably was the fastest growing part of your business and in other places really declined. And we're seeing this across the board. I mean, our study, we are doing them monthly. And so the last one was towards the end of the summer. And we showed that um, half the companies in the subscription economy really weren't affected by the pandemic. About, if you remember the numbers, about 25% actually grew faster, right? Um, and about the other 25% that grew slower, half of those, about an eighth of the whole pie, were still growing, just a little bit slower rate. And the last eight that actually, you know, shrunk, right? You know, they were, it's, they didn't, shrink by like, you know, their revenues didn't drop by like 60, 70, 80%. Their revenues dropped by like 5%, 10%, right? Because they had a recurring customer base that, that was loyal and they were able to pivot. And so, um, you know, one of our favorite examples was, um, you know, you know, restaurant services, restaurant reservation services like a resi. Obviously there's no reservations, but they pivoted really quickly to say, you know, we're going to help you with curbside pickup, home delivery, whatever it happens to be. And so, you know, companies are really able to pivot and say, look, you know, we understand your needs have changed. We understand you were talking to your customers. And so maybe what we used to do for you is not quite relevant, but we, look, we still have expertise. We still have innovation and they were able to pivot and hold on to the bulk of their customers. And um, and then towards the back half of the year, they started growing again. Another company that was a great example would be um, Kayo. They're the sports streaming service, the number one sports streaming service down in Australia. And in March and April, when there were no sports, they thought their service was just going to decline. But they did a couple of things. When they had a second service around movies that they were going to launch towards the end of the year, they pulled that up. And the sports service started, you know, uh, kind of like you saw the, the, the whole Michael Jordan series on ESPN. Yeah. Right? Because it's, it's like people still want to watch sports, right? If they can't watch live sports, well, find some other stuff for them to watch and, and they're going to stick around. And so they found that their sports service actually didn't decline, it actually accelerated. Now they pulled up the movie service. That's accelerating too. And they've got these twin engines and in 2020 has just been a, a, a fantastic year for them. And so that's what we found companies that were subscription businesses really, really thrived. And, and, and people are just starting to wake up to the power of this business model. So uh, the question is sort of a weird hybrid model out there, which I'm still sort of wondering about, even though I understand why it's being done, which is the movies and theaters, HBO max, hybrid right which is a very odd model right it's it's basically launching a movie in a theater which no one will go to and then launching it for free streaming on hbo max at this little identical time paramount plus is going to do the same thing so you can have a number of these sort of now i'm assuming and i don't know and maybe you can provide some insight because it's an odd model to me that the movie companies, if they don't own the actual streaming property, have some sort of revenue share from the streaming subscriptions that they have. I'm, I'm just unclear of what they think they're going to get out of this particular model other than crash, right? I mean, I- uh, right. no, look, um, the business model is already proven. I mean, just look at Netflix, right? Netflix is the biggest spender of, 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 of content and for a while, they were paying the most you know, of, of content, and they were able to monetize it in all sorts of ways. That's how they powered away the 200 million you know, subscribers. And just do the math on that: 200 million subscribers, giving them $100 um, a year, is, is 20 billion dollars of revenue. No, the, I get it's not that. The, the problem is they're actually opening them up in theaters too. There's a physical theater 
version oh, sure. in, at the same that's that alone is a cost i don't even understand why well, you are all about the customer yeah well i'm not all about the customer wasting your time in theaters and getting COVID 19 while they're there why wouldn't you leave no the customers don't want to go to the theater because they want to have that immersive experience they want to yeah. be everybody else. later right you know maybe 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 you look you see the tail off you see customers saying look after three or four days it tails off so maybe you know, maybe you showed them the theaters for the first week just so that because there's some segment of your customers that want to be like you know have that rabbit experience and want to show that they're fans right and and everybody else can watch it at home a week later right it, Which, it all no it's not that's the thing it's not a week later literally it's they're releasing the movies the same day in the theaters and on HBO Max. I'm watching them on HBO Max. Well, yeah, but right now it's like Wonder Woman. No, no one's no one's going to the theaters, right? But but like when, when, kind of when the it point. formalizes, I don't think we're going back. I don't think we're going back to say, you I know, movie theater first, and then maybe you'll go on HBO, and then maybe you'll go on DVDs, and eventually it hit streaming, right? But they might separate by a week or two. Again, it's just about your customers and, and, and segmenting them and, and giving them the experiences that they want. So what the the QAnon people go to the movies, right? Physically, <laughs> and then everybody else watches it on television. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to the movie theater. I I, I, I will do someday, but not I'm yet. I'm just gonna add this: me and and uh, John Lawson, the cold one, the bold one, John Coldroy Lawson. I have to say, it. Um, <laughs> we literally just had this conversation. I'm trying to pull this up, and it's interesting because um, I'm like you. I don't want to go and get the plague, so I don't need to go to the movie theater right now. And I thought, you know, we're seeing with the hub, I mean, the the uh, uh, HBO, they roll out a, a brand new possibly box office movie each month. And the reason they're doing that is because if they if people know that they're going to bid a brand new you know, blockbuster movie like Wonder Woman, like uh, the Denzel movie, although that wasn't all that great. Uh, like some other, <laughs> but every month you're getting a movie that you would have had to go to the movie theater to see. So that builds up the subscriptions because people are like, if I get a brand well, new movie a month, so that covers the cost. So Netflix actually owns the movie theater. Netflix owns the Paris movie theater in uh, in Manhattan, no, and no. it was where yeah. So so look. Um, you know, I had a chance to talk to to, to, to Mitch Lowe, who was uh, running MoviePass, and you know, probably an idea that was ahead of its time. Um, but but you know, he was arguing that that you should go to be able to go to the movie theater to watch Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right? You know, go to the movie theater to watch Mad Men. I mean, why not? I mean, so the people that want that experience, yeah. it should be a two-hour thing. It could be a, a, a one-hour thing. You make it a social experience. And so I think there's absolutely a place for, for, for movie theaters. But the idea, you know, stuck in the old model that says the way we monetize our movies, right, you know, that, that, that product is we're going to put in this channel first and this channel and this channel, right? I, I think that's, that's got to go away. you got to look at your customers and you got to see what makes sense for them. I, I, now here, two, oh, I, two things to add to that, though. One is drive-ins. Great to see a resurgence of drive-ins. Yeah. The other is, boy, residuals. I mean, that's a whole separate conversation, but there's right. a bunch of stuff in the way the entertainment industry works that we still have to sort through in order to manage some of the stuff because we're talking about some serious legacy with the the models the financial models all the way down to the folks that are actually creating this stuff and how they get paid so that's that's going to be another interesting one to watch work through the system absolutely so here's the funny thing about all that we just said and you mentioned netflix but one of the in, in paramount and disney and amazon amazon is right up there with 
And then this comes out just today. So Amazon is potentially going to buy the AMC even while they build up their content for their digital channel and subscription. Stuff. It's it's like you got to have it, you almost kind of figure out what's the right mix of this. There are people like me and, and Paul that we don't even like leaving the house, let alone going to a big movie theater. But then there's also people that love the experience of seeing these things on a big screen and and with other people that are really rabid about it to be to, to, to be involved. So it's almost like you're going to have you're going to see this. Maybe there's a subscription that probably you get it here or you could go on with your subscription to the actual movie theater. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like Super Bowl. You can watch it at home. You can watch it at your buddy's place or go to a sports bar. Right. And get 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 the whole immersive experience. We just throw the party at home, although this year we didn't. But it's the best way to do it. Just throw the party at home. Amazing. As long as you got a good enough five layer dip, you can go anywhere. <laughs> wow. And on that note, uh, so teen, um, the last time that we talked almost five years ago, I did ask you a question about what would we be talking about five years from now? Gosh, what did I say? Yeah. Would you like to know what you said? All right, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have asked. Here we go. <laughs> So peer out, we talked five years ago, we're talking now. Uh, hopefully we'll be talking in five years. Sure. Uh, what are we gonna be talking about with regards to subscription economy five years from now? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I was at Salesforce for nine years and so so, so really part of the, you know, building that company, building that culture. And one thing that we used to say, and you know, Mark was one of the, the biggest voices saying this, is people overestimate how much they can change in a year but they completely underestimate how much change can happen in 10 years, right? When we started Salesforce in 1999, you know, it feels natural now, but at that time, right, when, 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 when people were still accessing the internet over dial-up modems, right, when, when, when nobody usually used Google for search, or we really used Yahoo, the idea that our world would exist today with mobile phones, always on networks in 10 years, you know, I don't know that how many people would have, would have imagined that, but now 10 years later, that change has been massive. So we're going through this. We're going through this right now, right? You're saying we're five years in. Mm -hmm. I think in five years, I truly believe that, 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 that you won't be buying anything. You won't be buying cars, right? You won't be buying furniture. You won't be buying clothes. You'll simply subscribe to the services to deliver your need. And somebody else will take care of these things. And all you want is the outcome, right? And, and, and it frees you up to really do what you love and do what you want to do. Not that far off. Ownership went down. Quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. All the studies. We, we actually did this. We we uh, um, the Harris poll. Harris Company did a poll internationally. Seventy five percent of adults internationally said that people are going to buy less and less stuff. I, mean, I, I actually think this is what is behind the whole Maria Kondo thing. You're realizing that you just don't need all these things. It's just it's a burden. It's 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 an albatross. And you know when you can get anything you want from the services that you subscribe to, it's just much more much 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 more free. Plus, when you fold that way, it takes a lot longer, so you don't want as many clothes. So. Exactly. <laughs> Throw more. Away. Yeah. All right, teen. So you know the obvious question to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> Who's that? Well, there's actually a couple, but uh, all I'll, right, I, go ahead, Brian. I'll you do the. I'll do a quick one first. This should have been done earlier, but yeah, we like you. Uh, do you do you have a, a favorite professional football team? Favorite professional football team. Yeah. Um. Gosh, you know, uh, uh, I have not really kept up with football <laughs> in the last few years. 
Okay. And I'm usually, you know, I'm usually anti-patriots, but uh, but I was okay. That's all you had to say. That's it. That's the literally the only thing you had to say. Bay, you know, you got to root for the old guys. So <laughs> you said the magic words. You know, anti-patriot. That did. That's it. all you needed. That's no, all. We went to Tampa Bay. It was okay. Nah, no, I wasn't for that, man. but. but <laughs> Stay, stay to the anti-patriot. Right. This is one of those quit while you're ahead. Answers. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Now really this, the second one is since I asked you five years ago about where we we're going to be five years from now, I think we need to ask you where are we going to be talking about in the next five years of the subscription economy? Um, you know, uh, maybe I'll give a slightly different answer um, this time. There's a lot of stuff going on around us. It's hard not to be uh, affected by it, especially with, through a year like 2020, right? And even even the craziness that continues, right? The uh, the ice storms down in, in in Texas, and so you know we're obviously huge believers in the subscription economy, but we do believe that uh, just you know, talking a few things about Salesforce, you know, the, the Benioff reference. We used to talk a lot about the democratization of software. Right, this idea that you know, 1998, 1997, you got to be a big, big company to take advantage of CRM. All right, and when you move this model to a subscription model, it's just all you know, in the cloud. It's just all a, a, a fleet of cars that you can access from your phone, right, through Uber. Um, there's a there's the ability to really democratize access, right, to these capabilities and, and really give a much, much greater benefit for all. But in today's world, there's no guarantee that you have equal accessibility, right? And so is there a way that we can move into this new subscription economy world, the new world of lack of ownership, right? Usership, accessibility, but do it in such a way that accessibility really is, is equitable across, right? Everybody in, in the world. And what does that really mean, right? Does that mean that there, you know every company should think about a free offering, right? For, for people that might not have other, other um, be, uh, have the advantages of accessing what they did, right? But how do we really think about this new world and do it in such a way where accessibility is widespread? Because we have the potential to do that. This isn't, the ownership model really breaks it down. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, the shared usership, the shared ownership model really allows us to, to, to create a, a very, very different world going forward. And I like to really, you know, hope that the industry thinks a lot about that in the next five years. I want to just pop up this comment from Lucas Farias. I, I hope I'm saying that right. Greetings from Argentina. I'm a software engineer, and you are a source of inspiration in my entrepreneur life. Thank you for sharing your ideas. Thank you for saying I, that. Yeah. No, I, I, I go along with Lucas there. I thank you for joining us. And and I, I love doing these conversations every, you know, five years or so. But I wouldn't mind doing them sooner, too. You know, yeah. We'll try to do it sooner next time. Before I forget what everyone said. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot uh, for joining us. Awesome. And on behalf, and on behalf of the team, I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. And I'm El Nicole France. We are the CRM players, and you know what that means. It's <laughs> <not> time. <laughs> there you go.